Right, I want to take you straight to the US, actually. We have some uh, breaking news in the last few minutes. Uh, this is live outside a courthouse uh, in Washington, and that man there is Peter Navarro, one of Donald Trump's key White House aides, has been found guilty of two counts of criminal contempt of Congress. Uh, let's listen in, just in case he does say anything uh, to the press there. He's just been found guilty of two counts of contempt of Congress. Here we are with one of the most important constitutional separation of powers issues, and people will not let me speak. This is my First Amendment right. What I'm going to do now uh, is allow... Um, the marshal just saw you. The marshal just saw you. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You just assaulted me. That man just assaulted me. He stuck a flagpole in between my legs. Don't touch me. Um... There you go. You're All right. Now. They're going, tell us your business. Look, if you got a sign, no, hold it over there. Liar. I can hold it anywhere I want. This yeah. is public property, sir. So I want to press charges. Let the man talk. Are you, are you interested yeah, in hearing him? Man, go ahead. Go ahead and talk. I don't agree with some of your shit, but go ahead and talk, man. Go ahead and talk. No, I did it. No, I did it. Go ahead and talk, man. Go ahead. Sad day for America. Not because... Not not because they were guilty verdicts, because I can't come out and have an honest, decent conversation with the people of America. People of America, I want you to understand that this is the problem we have right here. This kind of um, divide in our country uh, between the, the woke Marxist left and everybody else here. And this is nuts. So what, what I want to try to do here is have an interesting discussion about what just happened. That's what you all want to know. You want to know what just happened. So I'm going to give uh, Mr. Raleigh uh, first crack at this. And uh, there's some issues that each of my attorneys here, Mr. Irving, uh, Mr. Brand, where did these guys go? Uh, they're back there. Um, and let's just let's just do it. Now, look, I, I, I appreciate uh, if you guys can work through the print. There's no problem with the print media. You, got, you get it, right? I apologize to the pool camera, but maybe you can kind of, you know, that's what editors are for. So, Mr. Raleigh, have at it, my friend. Thank you. Um, listen, on behalf of Dr. Navarro, uh, we want to express our appreciation to the court, to Judge Mehta, and to the jury that, that considered this case. This is an important case. This is a landmark case. Uh, this case, while we have a decision and we respect the jury's verdict today, this case won't be decided here finally. It will be decided by the D.C. Court of Appeals. Um, this is the first time that a senior presidential aide who has served his president for four years has ever been held in contempt of Congress. There are legal issues here uh, that need to be decided by the Court of Appeals. Uh, Judge Maida decided, based upon an evidentiary hearing last week, that there was inadequate evidence to show that President Trump had formally instructed uh, Dr. Navarro to invoke executive privilege. Respectfully, we disagree with that decision. We think that, uh, that uh, the, the evidence established that, that, in fact, President Trump instructed Dr. Navarro to invoke executive privilege. But in any event, we think that based upon the separation of powers between Congress and the executive, that uh, executive privilege is part and parcel of the office of the President of the United States and that no 
express invocation of privilege was even necessary. Otherwise, uh, President Reagan, for example, would have no executive privilege, and any confidential conversations he had with his senior aides at the time would be waived, and you all could ask his aides what uh, President Reagan spoke to about, about sensitive matters. So we think it's part and parcel of the office. We're confident that the Court of Appeals will hold to that effect, and this case is not over by a long shot. Oh, I, don't, I don't have anything much more to add to what Mr. Rowley just said. Yeah, I, just today was a, an important step uh, in the direction uh, of a successful appeal. And that's about all I have to say. <laughs> you seem to have missed the joke there. <laughs> all right, uh, let me see if I can uh, break this down for you. And um, you guys, you're good to go if you want. This, this is going to be a while. All right. So um, let's start with um, the fact that this is a landmark case. This is a landmark case that's bound for the Supreme Court. Why do I say that? <clears throat> this is the first time in the history of our republic that a senior White House advisor, an alter ego of the president, has ever been charged with the alleged crime. That's the first time that this has ever happened. Now, at the same time, what's so remarkable about this case is that even as the Department of Justice was bringing this case, they had a policy for more than 50 years that says people like me, senior White House advisors, alter egos of the president, cannot be compelled cannot be compelled to testify before Congress. Absolute. Yet they brought the case. This case is a landmark case because it's about the constitutional separation of powers. That goes back to the days of George Washington when the legislative branch first began to try and meddle with the executive branch. And if you go back and look at the Supreme Court rulings, few and far between all they are, and more importantly, the Department of Justice position, then you will understand that there are very good reasons why executive privilege is sacrosanct. It's the mechanism, the mechanism by which effective presidential decision making is made. So this case is not about me. I happen to be the only one in the barrel on this. And what's interesting about this case is that Judge Amit Mehta, during the course of this case, actually made history. How did he do that? He made history by ruling that people like me, senior White House advisors, cannot be compelled to testify. He said that. No judge has ever said that before. Now, the, the reason why he felt that it did not apply to me is because he did not believe, despite all of the evidence we put on, including my own personal testimony, that the privilege had been properly invoked. And that's another open question for the appeals court, because there are many legal scholars who believe that the privilege is presumptive, presumptive. 
There are many other issues that are related to this case that are open questions. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the day that Judge Maida ruled that I could not use executive privilege as a defense in this case, the die was cast. This was pro forma, pro forma. We knew going in what the verdict was going to be. That's why this is going to the appeals court. Okay, and we will leave uh, that there. That's Peter Navarro speaking outside court, one of Donald Trump's key uh, White House aides. He's just been found guilty of two counts of criminal contempt of Congress. He refused to appear before a committee of lawmakers last year. Uh, that committee was investigating the attacks on the US Capitol building, uh, January 6th, of course. And uh, prosecutors told the jurors there Navarro acted as though he was above the law when he refused to give evidence. And you heard him saying there that he will appeal against this decision. Let's bring in our panel, Andrew Fisher and Brian uh, Lanza. Brian, I think we better start with you. What do you make of that? Listen, I've, I've known Peter a very long time. You know, he has, uh, he has, he's, he's challenged by truth often. Um, you know, he had to appear. It was, it wasn't a question mark, and he decided to go down a defiant route. And, and this is the process. You know, I would say this though. You know, we are. He's right in the sense that we're entering a very dangerous time because it's not uncommon for Congress to hold, you know, former members of the administration in contempt, even current members of the administration in contempt. It is uncommon for the actual Justice Department to go forward with these prosecutions. I mean, just in 2012, the Republican Congress held Eric Holder, the Attorney General, to Barack Obama in contempt for not turning over documents. Under this current standard that we have with Peter, you know, Eric Holder would be ultimately found guilty of, of contempt of Congress. You know, we're going down a dangerous route by escalating these things. And sure, Peter's an easy target. He's a fool, so it makes him an even easier target. But this route is very dangerous because it's not uncommon for a partisan Congress to hold, you know, another partisan member in contempt. And now we're down the path where they have to prosecute uh, because the, the, the evidence is overwhelming. That's not good for our system of government. Interesting. Andrew, what do you make of it? Well, it's tempting to sit here in the UK and kind of look at it as not my circus and not my clowns, really. Um, and if that was, you know, a former ally speaking in his defence and calling him a fool, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to offer him any defence. But it's interesting. I mean, as I understand it, um, Steve Bannon, I think, was also found in contempt and has been prosecuted under this. It's, he, I don't think he's quite the test case he thinks he is, unless I've misread it. And Brian can correct me, of course. Um, but I think it is important that governments and government officials are always publicly accountable. They are funded by the people. They are not there to serve their own purposes. They don't have a right to absolute privacy. They make decisions um, with public money for the public. They are democratically elected. They are accountable to the people. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't understand all the legalities of this. It's not the system I'm uh, au fait with. But it seems to me that uh, he seems to have forgotten that. Brian, let's go to the wider issue. Let's leave Peter Navarro and, and that appeal. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, court cases variously. Uh, where are we uh, with them and what's happening in the kind of court of uh, US public opinion? I think the president has you know, three federal cases. He has actually two federal cases and two state cases. 
I think just today he he asked for the Atlanta case to be moved over to the federal side. He's got some merit. I think every lawyer on both sides believe that there's some merit to it, and we'll see if he's successful. If he moves it over to the federal side, you don't have three federal cases and one state case. I think it's easier for President Trump to, to move it to the federal side. The jury pool becomes exponentially more favorable to him. You know, the jury of his peers is not, uh, you know, a, a community, a low-income community in Atlanta. It becomes sort of broader suburban communities. But, uh, I mean, this is going to go on for a while. But I would say something interesting about it is, you know, we we now have cameras in the courtroom if this, if this Atlanta trial goes forward. Nobody's going to watch anything else but this trial if there's cameras in a courtroom and actually Trump is 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 happening. I mean, there's a writer strike, there's an actor strike. There's no content being produced. This these trials will be the most content driven information for the for for entertainment and for news, and probably in a generation since the O.J. Simpson trial here took place in Los Angeles when I was a young kid. I mean, it's going to be content heavy if we end up going before uh, the Atlanta county the Atlanta uh, county uh, jurors. Yeah, we shall see. Not at that stage yet. Brian, Andrew, thanks both.